Welcome to part two of our previous Driven by Prevention podcast episode brought to you by the Merck Animal Health Swine Team. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out part one by listening to the previous episode. And as a reminder, Merck Animal Health is proud to be your invested partner in the industry and is focused on solving your swine disease and reproductive challenges for better business and improved animal welfare productivity, opportunity, partnership, wellness, all driven by prevention. Uh, What typical lesions have been found with uh, PCV3 and how are they detected and how similar they contrast with PCV2? Okay, so lesions we have associated with PCV3 uh, is periarteritis, arteritis in growing pigs encephalitis and myocarditis in perinatal pigs, which means they're in those cases, those guys were 10 days, eight days old, and a day old. Um, the farm from that, uh, the farms reported weak-born pigs in those cases, as well as fetal mummification and rarely myocarditis in those fetuses. In general, reproductive failure due to viruses, you are not going to see lesions in those fetuses lesions in fetuses due to reproductive failure as a result of viral infection are very uncommon. So that's not really a surprise. Um, There is a single report of similar lesions of periarteritis, arteritis in a pig with detection of PCV2. There is also a report of myocarditis in a perinatal pig with detection of PCV2. And typically the lesion in PCV2 uh, mummies or stillborns is myocarditis, a lymphocytic myocarditis. So that, that is similar also. Um, based on the cases so far, it does not appear as if PCV3 is strongly associated with interstitial pneumonia or peribronchitis, a granulomatous lymphadenitis, or enteritis. If you suspect PCV3 disease within your herd, what samples should be collected? Uh, and does that vary by breeding herd or the growing pig, uh, what samples you're collecting? So if you're in a breeding herd and you're experiencing reproductive failure in terms of mummies and stillborns, I would suggest going out and picking four to six fetuses from affected litters. And an affected litter would be two to three mummies and stillborns. I would suggest sending in uh, those fetuses for PCR, uh, plus or minus histologic evaluation. Is there a serology test uh, available? Right now, I am not aware of any uh, diagnostic lab that is offering a serology assay. We're working very hard on one in collaboration with practitioners We've tested hundreds of known status uh, negative samples, and we have a really solid specificity. But in order to be able to offer that to practitioners, we do need a few more known status positive samples to get a good sensitivity and an accurate cutoff. In regards to sequencing, what portion of the virus is sequenced? Uh, What diversity is present among uh, PCV3 sequences? Currently, we sequence the ORF2, much like PCV2, um, and there is none to very little genetic diversity in PCV3. With the Bailey Aruda crystal ball, 
What do you foresee for the future? I think a longitudinal study that includes PCR and serology on farms with and without uh, PCV-associated disease following gilts, sows, and piglets from birth to finishing would be fantastic. Uh, concurrent evaluation of colostrum processing fluids and oral fluids should also occur on those farms. And such a, such a study would provide a lot of information in regards to the epidemiology transmission and infectious dynamics of PCV3. How far away are we getting that done? I think that we have practitioners and farms, producers that are, are all willing to participate in something like that. It's going to take resources and time. You're going to have to have a really large number of PCRs. Those things are not inexpensive and you're going to have a lot of labor because you're going to have to tag and follow pigs over time. So I think it can obviously be done. We're doing it on some other farms for other agents. Um, it just does require a lot of resources to execute that. Okay. Now to build on that a little bit, you talk we need more. Is there a magic threshold number of samples that you need and to get an established uh, backbone to the, your research? I think that it's if we had right now longitudinal samples over time with 10 pigs from a known positive farm, we'd be good to go on, on the ELISA. Right now we're doing point samples, we're, we're pulling a serum or, or a colostrum or processing fluids that are PCR positive and hoping they're going to be serologically positive. That doesn't, those two things don't necessarily occur at the same time, right? Because of infection dynamics and the immune response. So if we can pull those and we get some positives uh, from those farms that are, are experiencing reproductive failure, I'm working with some practitioners in that, I think we'll be good to go in the next month or two. So uh, I hope we can offer that, Eliza, uh, starting this summer. Today's Driven by Prevention podcast is brought to you by Sequivity. New and evolving diseases and pathogens represent a continuing threat to the food animal population. Sequivity, a revolutionary RNA particle technology for Merck Animal Health, is at the forefront of vaccine technology designed to combat this ongoing risk. Learn more at sequivity.com. We look back on history to learn. So looking back, what do we know from our knowledge of PCV2 that can help us in this battle against PCV3? I think there's a lot of lessons that the industry learned with PCV2. Um, just because an agent is present in healthy and diseased animals doesn't necessarily mean it's not a pathogen. You would find PCV2 in healthy animals, and so a lot of people would dismiss it. Um, and it took us a long time to start to understand that PCV2 is a pathogen. I think we're at a better, we are, we're starting at a better place with PCV3 because we have uh, in situ assays. We have histologic uh, evaluation of, um, from herds that are experiencing PCV3 associated disease. So we have kind of this, uh, a good number of cases in which PCV3 has been associated with reproductive failure consistently on farms. We have an aggregate of 
of cases where it's causing, it seems to be strongly associated with a periarteritis or arteritis in growing pigs. And we have samples where it's, it's causing a myocarditis, encephalitis, perinatal pigs. And so not only do we have these lesions, we have in-situ detection of PCV3. So I think that puts us uh, far, we've done that in a fairly rapid uh, time frame compared to how long it took us to understand that PCV2 was a pathogen. If you look back at the history of PCV2, they can find it in retrospective samples in northern Germany in 1962. They can detect it in tissue via IHC in lesions in 1985. However, they didn't start describing disease or experience or submitting for this unknown disease until about the mid-1990s. It took about another decade for vaccines to get on the market. So now we have some pretty good evidence that PCV3 is associated with disease, and we have interested parties trying to develop a vaccine. So I think we're probably leaps and bounds ahead of where we were for PCV2. Okay. Would you expect any cross-protection? I am unaware of any studies that have evaluated cross-protection. Uh, between PCV2 and PCV3. However, based on the herds uh, from these cases that are PCV2 vaccinated, as well as the differences between PCV2 and PCV3 in the amino acid sequence of the capsid, I would assume that there would not, I would postulate that there is, that there isn't going to be cross-protection between PCV2 and PCV3. Okay. What tools do we have for PCV3? Uh, any vaccines or treatments that, for producers and veterinarians? I'm unaware of any treatments that are available, available for PCV3. I know that there is one vaccine available on the market from Merck, it's Equivity. Okay. What do you predict will be the protective antigen? Based on PCV2, uh, it would appear that the ORF2 or the capsid uh, protein would be the protective antigen. It's one of those antigens uh, that actually works really, really well in terms of vaccinology. As you guys all know, PCV2 vaccine uh, works pretty well when applied effectively. Can you expand on the fulfillment of Koch's postulates in regards to PCV3? Koch's postulates, while the gold standard uh, in many people's minds may not always be applicable, if you look at PCV2, the models of disease in growing pigs do not actually fulfill Koch's postulates as another infectious etiology or immune stimulation is needed. If you look at PCV3, I think the most likely experimental reproduction of disease that is being seen in the field is likely to be developed in a sow experimental model. Having said that, if you look at the evidence that's been presented thus far, we have numerous detections of PCV3 at low uh, cycle threshold values in fetuses. We don't have any novel agent detected because we've screened a subset of those fetuses for next by next generation sequencing. And we have in situ detection of PCV3 in the heart of fetuses with myocarditis. We also have encephalitis myocarditis in pigs with only PCV3 detection. And we have growing pig cases that have arteritis, periarteritis without PCV2 
and with PCV3 in-situ detection. All of those things with in-situ detection and NGS, I mean, that's as close to fulfilling as Koch's postulates as we can get without actually doing it. Knowing what you know and all the work that you've done and the findings, would you classify uh, PCV3 as an emerging disease? In short, I would label PCV3 an emerging disease. Uh, an emerging disease, as defined by OIE, is a new infection resulting from evolution or change of an existing pathogen resulting in change of the host range, vector, pathogenicity, or strain. So in that regards, no, PCV3 is not. However, in the occurrence of a previously unrecognized infection or disease. So in the end, PCV3 is newly detected, newly discovered. While it's been here for decades, it still can be qualified an emerging disease because it's newly detected and newly discovered. And that wraps up our webinar today, PCV3, an emerging disease. Uh, now we're going to open up for questions uh, from the audience. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Driven by Prevention podcast. Please subscribe for future episodes from Merck Animal Health and learn more about Merck Animal Health at drivenbyprevention.com.